welcome to episode 92 of the It's About the Money podcast, your podcast about the first place New York Yankees. My name is EJ Fagan, and tonight I am joined by Scott Moss. Hey there. And I'm joined by Andy Singer. Hey, everyone. So, guys, uh, it uh, again, the Yankees are still in first place. We're recording this five minutes before the Yankee-Red Sox game begins, and the good news about last night's game is no matter what, they will be in first place after after tonight's game. Um, have you guys been? Have you guys watched these last two games against the Red Sox yet? Uh, yeah, I've watched them. Uh, obviously, the Tanaka start was disappointing for all of us, but I, I've got to say, I was really impressed by CC Sabathia last night. I, oh, he yeah, just dominated he that lineup. He was killing it. Yeah, and I was actually at the Tanaka start. I don't live in New York, as you guys know, but I was there on work, so I just made the point to go to that game and. It was it was, a, it was a fun game in a lot of ways, but that was actually you know the worst one he's had maybe since opening day. Yeah, so let's let's talk about Tanaka. Um, the so Tanaka gave up what was it four home runs uh, in game one against the Red Sox. Um, he at times actually looked kind of okay, and then you know just then the home runs just kept coming. He gave, gave up three and one inning. Yeah, uh, and, and we talked about Tanaka a lot. Yeah, and that in that game, you know, so without belaboring Tanaka, but you know the reasons that we're talking about him is that it's amazing that nobody has a clear answer to what's wrong neither you know injury nor is any one pitch noticeably getting clobbered more than others and his stats aren't that far off so you know xfip looking at the fundamentals says he seems to be worse but there's no one number that's jumping out at you so the hard contact isn't through the roof balls in the air aren't through the roof his control isn't got awful velocity's down a tiny bit but I suspect it's just that a lot of things are a little off, or my own pet theory is this. And, you know, I was at the game. It's the only one start I saw, but, man, those home runs were all no-doubters. They all cleared the fence by about 30 feet, 40 feet. And there were two warning track catches, too, so it could have been two more home runs. Um, so my thing is this. One flaw in FIP, XFIP, the stats that they're predictive, they look at fundamentals like fly ball rates and walks and strikeouts, too, to see how many home runs and how much contact you should be, how many runs you should be giving up. The flaw is this, and I feel like this was Pineda's flaw until this past year too, which is this. Let's say, thought experiment, you're a major league pitcher, but one out of 20 pitches, you just lob it in there and the hitter knows you're lobbing it in. Well, those are going to be no doubter home runs. They're fly balls that will be much more likely to be home runs than your average fly ball. And the insight of XFIP and some of those other stats is that fly balls become home runs at a fairly constant clip whether you're good or bad but let's say you just butcher one out of 20 pitches either because something's a little wrong with your arm or like Panetta you just lose focus because there's a shiny object in the stands or something or who knows you know I feel like Tanaka that can be a sign of injury or mechanics problems and I'll be agnostic as to which it is but if you just butcher one out of 15 or 20 pitches then your strikeout rates will be okay. You're not on average giving up tons more hard contact. You're still striking out. You're not walking a ton more. But boy, when you screw up the pitch, does it get hit 450 feet. So I suspect that whether it's injury or mechanics or some inconsistency, it's just that one out of 15 pitches is just a total clunker. And he's been doing it all year. So it's not something that's going to go away in its own. So that's my own theory. It's just that his stuff is okay. It's just the one out of end pitches that's getting clobbered. Well, Andy, I think, what do you think? Yeah, I think watching on TV, uh, what struck me most, uh, at least this pe- 
previous turn was the fact that Tanaka just didn't have any confidence on the mound. He's usually got a swagger about him when he's when he's on the mound. There's this quiet, cool confidence that he just exudes when he takes the mound. And is when you the TV zoomed in on him, you could see that his eyes were darting around. He just never looked comfortable. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed watching him this year is that from a consistency standpoint, with regards to his delivery, which is usually just on point. It just doesn't look very consistent to me this year. Uh, he's not finishing his pitches, particularly his splitter and his slider. And visually and mechanically, that could be for any number of reasons. If your f- footwork just gets just a little bit off, you don't necessarily finish on those pitches and they hang up in the zone, which is why you have home runs that are no doubters. But, uh, you know, EJ and I were talking a little bit before the show today, and he was talking about the, uh, you know, the idea that there was some release data, release point data out there for Tanaka and looking it up in fact particularly on the splitter and the slider his release point is lower than it's ever been in his time with the New York Yankees and it's not just by a little bit it's by as much as three quarters of an inch so that's a significant difference with regards to release point and it could be the cause of the specifically the splitter and the slider flattening out. I feel like I'm asking this every podcast, but I think it is the most interesting question about the Yankees right now, which is, so what do you do, right? So let's let's presume maybe there's some kind of mechanical issue. There's no real injury. I think we if there was if there was an elbow injury, I think we would see this show up more in velocity and control, which we're not seeing as much. Um, so let's say it's mechanical or psychological or whatever. Um, do you phantom DL Tanaka? Do you let him just kind of keep pitching? I mean, at some point, I feel like the Yankees are going to have to make a decision here. Yeah, I, th- I think we're at the point in the schedule where you there's actually room on the roster, given the fact that we're carrying eight relievers at the moment. I think there's we're at a spot in the schedule where you could conceivably call up a sixth starter and just skip Tanaka for a start and hope that he can get his head, his mechanics, and his arm together a little bit, sort of allow him to fix whatever's going on and maybe give him a bit of a mental break. Obviously, to call up Chance Adams, you've got to burn a 40-man roster spot, but I don't think any of us are necessarily itching to keep Lane on the roster. So Chance Adams is going to be on the 40-man roster at some point soon, right? It's, it's, it'd be different if you're putting a, a guy who you know, you think probably won't be up that much over the next six months. Now, Chance Adams is going to be in the major leagues. Probably might take an injury at this point or might take, you know, demoting Tanaka, but, you know, he's, he, that's going to happen. Yeah, you know, I agree that it would be nice to be able to skip him or phantom DL him or whatnot. The catch is that um, there's always some politics involved in that, more so with this being his contract year, where a phantom DLing of him or just skipping a start, you know, takes away what he could have going for him, which is that if he writes the ship even midseason and ends up with a bad ERA, but it's a good second half performance, if let's say you're Tanaka, you'd rather just trudge through it, hoping that, okay, if my first half ERA is five and a half and my second half is three and a half, it averages out to four and a half, but if I was basically healthy and just had a crappy first half, teams won't be scared off me in free agency. Whereas if you do a phantom DL or skip a start, which is sort of like a mini DL stint as it would appear to others, then, you know, it could be costing the man 40 million bucks on his long-term contract. So I think you get pushed back on the phantom DL thing in a way you wouldn't if it were like his year one of five on his contract. And what is, what's made harder is the Yankees don't have an off day for a while too. 
Um, so they have they're playing they play straight through this coming Monday and their next off day is a week from Monday the 19th of June um, and even and after that they have an extended an extended streak in um, uh, in June and into, into July with no off days so they can't it, they can't really like just kind of use the calendar at this point I think they would have to call up a Chance Adams or somebody um, yeah and if skipping well, the start that, is difficult that, politically on that front you know I'm I'm being a little silly here but teams when they fin the DL people they are doing the tinfoil hat conspiracy theories we have in mind. So Tanaka's in Japan, right? So let's say he went on the bereavement list because of his uncle Masahiro Sr. or something like that, right? And he's in a small fishing village, they announced, or something like that. Like, is anybody going to find that there's no uncle Masahiro Sr. as an excuse for skipping him a start or two? And they'll say, like, he'll skip his start, and then, you know, his plane flight back, it's a long trip, so we're going to skip the next one. And before you know, he had 14 days to work out in an undisclosed location or something. But I would let's do assume that. that, like, but let's assume that, like, Tanaka is in on the deal, which is, always, you know, <laughs> this happens a lot. Somebody has a an injury that you can't actually like detect on an MRI or something, so you can't right. prove it, like a lower back pain or something, um, back spasms. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I feel like this is something that major league teams do enough. Um, for example, I'm not entirely convinced that Greg Bird has been out for a month and a half with bone bruise, with a bruise. Um, especially since he played on that bruise for two weeks before he was DL'd. Um, so I, I, I think this seems like something that isn't uncommon. Um, but even then, I mean, I, I think there's this question of, is, is would a DL stint do much? Right? I, mean, I mean, maybe he needs to pitch his way out of this. Uh, but the Yankees are in first place by two games, right? I mean, every time, every time you roll Tanaka out there and he gets lit up, that's, I mean, the, the Yankees lost the game to the, the team that they're probably going to be, you know, competing against in September for, for, for the division. Yeah, I think yeah, what I, I think, do is, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no problem. I, I think where I come down on this is I was more than willing to let Tanaka pitch through it. At the end of the day, when you look at the back of the baseball card, as the saying goes, uh, Tanaka is the staff ace and in april and may you say okay let's try to let him work through this it's now been three months really in the aggregate of bad pitching by tanaka so at there comes a point at which you can't allow him to go out there and bang his head against the wall any further the question to in my mind is if it's really a situation where he's got to pitch his way out of it i think the phantom dl makes a lot of sense because what happens at the end of a dl stint you get a rehab assignment down in the minors and that allows him to work on some things work on his release point in a no stress situation but in a competitive situation that say a simulated game doesn't give you yeah and the thought on what a dl stint does for him Phantom DL or something's a little off or whatever is that it lets him basically have the repetitions of a reliever where you're doing, you know, 30 pitches this day and then day or two off, 20 pitches. And frankly, if deep down they know and just are not saying that it's that his release point stinks on XYZ pitch, because um, I've heard there's some people saying it's the splitter or some people saying it's the fastball and the data are conflicting. You know, they could probably figure out which it is and just have him pitch those in simulated settings. So the value is that you can pitch more repeatedly than start, and you can rely on what is the problem pitch more rather than less, as he's probably had to. So I'd like to, I, I, I again, because we belabored this in past past podcasts, I just want to ask you guys one more quick question, then we can move on. Um, so if, let's say, somehow someone else is starting instead of Tanaka next time out, uh are we all in agreement that it's Chance Adams and not Chad Green? Oof, that's that's a tough one. Uh, I think Green's kind of earned, has certainly earned his way onto the staff. 
in some capacity with the way he's pitched recently. I mean, the, his last outing, I believe he threw three and a third and struck out six or five, seven. Yeah. So five. Uh, so uh, Chad Green's been excellent. So I think it'd be tough to turn him away from a start. But at the same time, Chance Adams has pitched great down in AAA, and he lines up with Tanaka's day. So honestly, I think you it's fine either way. I, I, I don't have any complaints in either direction. I, I honestly think you should call up Chance Adams and have Green caddy for him. I'd probably I think, make it I think, green, yeah. I, I'd probably make it green just because there's this 40-man roster crunch, and you guys talked about it last week, where you know guys they want to call up, they're going to want to make room for them, and that's going to be a crunch. Um Let's just delay the number of those we have. And Adam's been terrific, and I'm a big fan, big booster, but he's only had five starts at AAA, the guy. And he's, you know, killed it there. But, you know, honestly, his control at AA, AAA this year has been okay, not great. So it's not like this is a guy who you're just letting unfairly marinate in the minors if you give him another month, uh, you know, and that also avoids a roster crunch. So I want to move on. Um, before we move on, uh, we are sponsored by uh, swap, a SeatSwapTickets.com. Uh, if you would like to uh, exchange your season tickets or any other tickets you have uh, with other fans for their unused tickets, uh, you can go to SeatSwapTickets.com uh, slash members and use the promo code SWAP to get $20 uh, off your next purchase at seats, uh, Swap Seats partner sh- uh, site SeatGeek. Uh, and uh, and you can have all of your fees waived uh, uh, in the future for SeatSwapTickets.com. It's a great offer. We thank them for sponsoring us. Uh, so moving on to, I want to talk about Chris Carter, but also kind of an issue we've been dancing around, I think both on this podcast and previously. So the Yankees have Chris Carter. He's been the regular first baseman for about a month since Greg Bird went down. Greg Bird is now uh, at AAA doing rehab starts. He's been pretty good so far. He had some rehab starts in Tampa. He should be ready any day now. Um, and it's we're not really sure if he really was injured in the first place, though. I guess they probably would option, if, option, option him to AAA if that were the case. Um, so that's, that's, all, that's all happening. And Chris Carter has been bad. Uh, he's he's got an on base percentage below 300 for the, uh, the season, a slugging percentage be- uh, below 400. It's been a little better in the last couple of games. Looks like he's batting. Uh, looks like uh, he's batting 385 with two home runs in the la- in his last 13 plate appearances. But generally speaking, they're, they're besides essentially last game, there's no trend. He's had one multi hit game since May 14th. Um, Chris Chris Carter is interesting in a couple of ways. One is that if Greg Bird comes back and becomes a starting base, first baseman, he gets relegated to the bench. Um, and two is, is everybody's just kind of waiting for the Chris Carter hot streak, and that's basically all that all that he's doing right now is being that guy you're waiting for. So my question is right now is, why is Chris Carter on this roster instead of Tyler Austin? I know we, we brought this up last last podcast, but I want to ask that before I get to my second question. So why why what is what is Brian Cashman's logic? I think there are two possible reasons. There's the good one and the bad one in my mind. Uh, The good one is that, okay, Austin and Bird seem to be healthy again. That's super. But given that it's not clear Austin's that much better than Carter and given that they rushed Bird back last time, there's nothing wrong with waiting another week or two or maybe three, you know, mid-June, end of June to make sure that both of those guys are right before you get rid of Carter. Because the last thing you want is you get rid of Carter because one's coming back. And then he has a setback, or his timing's off, or he's rusty, or Tyler Austin isn't that good, and then you're giving Ref Snyder more starts at first. So maybe it's just being patient. Um, The bad reason would be the thing that I think we all hate is that 
He's a proven veteran. You're not going to be faulted for playing the guy who had 41 home runs last year, whereas you could be faulted if Tyler Austin is called up and hits, you know, 202 with an 81 OPS plus like Carter. So, you know, I just don't see the upside with Carter, given that, yeah, it's all cute that he has two years of hitting many home runs. But look, most of his time in the bigs, he has not been a 37 to 41 home run guy. That was two years he's had in his life so far, and he's 30 years old. He's been replacement level-ish for the majority of his time in the bigs. I just don't see much of a chance that Tyler Austin is much worse. So I think, you know, we'll find out a week or two if it's reason A, that you just want to be patient with Austin and Bird rather than rush Bird back like last time. Super. Nothing wrong with that. But if it's really that, you know, he's a proven big leaguer, blah, blah, and he has all this upside, I just am not going to buy it. So I'll be displeased if he's still on the roster by the end of the month, absent some setback to Austin or Bird. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Scott said, but I also think the reality is, uh, in at least Tyler Austin's situation, he didn't have any at-bats in spring training, or at least any real at-bats against Major League caliber pitching. And for him, that rehab stint was essentially his spring training. So I think the idea was simply to get him more at-bats at the AAA level to prepare him for the big leagues. Obviously, he did have some pretty large platoon splits last year, so maybe they're allowing him to hit a little bit more against right-handed pitching and see what he does with it. Uh, From Bird's perspective, I think they're just going to take their time and make sure that Bird is right when he comes back because he just did not look good early in the year. So Chris Carter is your safety net, and that's why they signed him. Uh, Yes, we're all waiting for the big streak. It may or may not happen, but I don't think Chris Carter is going to impede either Bird's or Austin's path to the big leagues whenever either is deemed ready. All right, so the, the second kind of part of this question I want to ask, which is related to Chris Carter, but not really. So let's say Greg Burke comes back, becomes the starting first ba- uh, first baseman. Carter gets pushed back to the bench. The Yankees have been carrying a three-man bench for a long time now, right? The bench is Ronald Torres, Rob Ref Snyder, Austin Romine. There's something wrong with that to me, I, I, and I'm curious what you guys think. I, we, the, the Yankees have had a lot of situations late in the game where Chase Headley's been allowed to bat, you know, with men on base behind, uh, or even Chris Carter's been allowed to bat with men on base behind. Should the Yankees be carrying another bench player on this uh, uh, on this team? I mean, is if is Chris Carter that bench player eventually? Is there another bench player in the organization you'd like to see? Um, what do you guys think about the, the current state of the Yankee bench? I mean, I'm sure that they envision Chris Carter being, uh, you know, a, a higher profile bench bat. But by the same token, I think a really good fit would be for another super utility type player to sit on the bench. And obviously, Tyler Wade is sitting at AAA. I know they're probably waiting to, for a time that they can get him, say, three to four starts a week. But I think a guy like that, in addition to Torres, who can reasonably play the outfield and who's not a minus with the bat, I think would be a really good addition to this team. Because the other flip side to that is if you pinch hit Chris Carter for a guy like Chase Headley, there's just not a lot of positional flexibility there. Whereas I think if you, with a short bench, another guy like Torres who can play multiple positions uh, would be really useful for this ball club. Oh, yeah, the goal in having Wade do multiple positions, you know, they and reporters have said a bunch of times, he'll be our homegrown Ben Zobrist, and there's value in that sort of thing. Um, But this roster, when you have Holiday and Carter, and when Ref Snyder's up and they clearly don't have confidence in 
him having the kind of versatility they hoped he might when they tried him at third base and gave up. I mean, this is one of the least flexible rosters I've seen when you have Holiday and Chris Carter, who, yeah, they played outfield in the past, but clearly there's no confidence in them doing so. And I think their lack of confidence in him, those guys in the outfield is well-placed. And Torres isn't even really a shortstop. He's, you know, overall, you know, Yes, he did yeoman's work filling in for Didi for a while, but he's not a good shortstop. He doesn't have range. So this is a really inflexible roster, so there's real value in bringing up someone like Ray Wade once you're convinced he's ready. I just wonder whether, yes, he's killing it in AAA, but he's still pretty new to a bunch of his new positions. So I wonder whether when you think about it, you know, if he's had four months of screwing around as a utility man, that's really like 1.3 months each at all these new positions. So he hasn't had that many games at third base and center field. So I wonder if they feel like he needs more of the season to be a major league ready utility man. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think that Torres and, um, uh, and, and, and Wade cancel each other out. Meaning that I, I think Wade's a better player, but I don't, I don't think that it's worth it having them both on the roster at the same time. Yeah. I think this bench needs a hitter. I think you need somebody to pinch hit for that back part of the lineup. I mean, especially you know in games where you don't, where you're not resting a starter. You know, there's a lot of late game situations where you know maybe maybe you don't want Torres to pinch hit. He can play defense, but you want a Tyler Austin uh, or you want a you know someone like that to be a pinch hitter. And the more I watch Chris Carter, the more I'm convinced he's not that guy. Like even if he's going reasonably well, Chris Carter is a is the guy who can hit a home run for you off the bench maybe. But there's a lot of situations where you got men on and you need a single or a double, and he's just going to. That's that's not something he frequently provides, right? He provides that in like 17% of plate appearances. Um, whereas you know someone like Tyler Tyler Austin is twice as likely to hit a single or a double um, than than Chris Carter. Uh, and, and so you know I I I think that that's I, I think that's a that's a serious weakness of Carter. Forgetting the defensive the the, the defensive liability. Right, like even like you know, let's be honest, Tyler Ross is not a good out, corner outfielder either. But I, I think he's just a better option off the bench. Well, actually, I mean, more to your point, DJ. The big issue with Carter as a bench bat is he's a free swinger. He's not a guy who's going to see a lot of pitches. Whereas you know, if you bring up a guy who's you want a guy off the bench who's going to see pitches and at least working at bat to go down in three pitches isn't what you want for a guy coming off the bench. So a Tyler Austin is a more patient hitter. Uh, Tyler Wade is a more patient hitter than Carter. So it sort of speaks to your point. And you know, I'm also a little bit concerned about the lack of an outfielder on the bench right now. Like, like so Jacoby Osbury, unfortunately, is still suffering from post-concussion symptoms, and we wish him well. Uh, while he's out, you have Brett Gardner, 33 years old, Aaron Hicks, center fielder, Aaron Judge playing every single game in the outfield. And they really don't have any other options out there. Like, yeah, Torres and Ref Schneider can fake it in, in the outfield. Uh, but I, I don't think they have started a game there yet. Correct me if I'm wrong. But like the, the since Ellsbury's been out, it's been those three guys playing every single day. And like, like we said earlier, there's a there's a schedule coming up where the Yankees are playing a lot of games in a lot of time and not that much time in the summer. A lot of it on the road, right? I I, I think the Yankees need another outfielder on this roster. Um, if Ellsbury's going to be out for more than a couple more days. Yeah, and the piss of it is that all these problems we're spotting, the roster inflexibility, lack of, uh, you know, a middle infielder you're more confident in maybe as a pinch hitter and lack of an outfielder, they're all solvable with someone who's been really close to the majors. I mean, the number of guys they have who they feel like they need someone at their position and they don't have someone to promote, but they're right about you. I mean, how close are they to being deciding that, Austin's healthy or Wade's ready or 
Fowler or Frazier is ready to be called up. I mean, these guys are so close. So you feel like Cashman's saying, you know, darn it, if only these injuries or, you know, Carter's slowdown became clear in July or August when one or more of these guys were ready. There's just a mismatch where they're like a month or two away. But, you know, the question is whether they decide any of these guys are ready to promote, you know, immediately. And you, there's also, you also can't, I don't think you can carry Carter and Bird on a three-man bench. Right, I think that's an, that, that that's going to force their hand away, and maybe Carter just goes to the goes to the bench, or Bird goes to the bench, and you, you like you know get rid of you know uh, Tommy Lane or something like that. Um, the the Yankees really haven't gotten much out of this large bullpen, too, right? I mean, for the most part, it's that same cast of characters. Yeah, I think uh, a typical Girardi bullpen guys are very set in their roles, and it's not going to change very much uh, as we move into the dog days of summer. So I think it makes sense to not be carrying an eight-man bullpen. I, I think we'd all agree on that point. Okay, moving on. So the Yankees have been uh, not so surprisingly looking to trade for a third baseman. Uh we um, uh, Chase Headley has been bad. We all we've all seen it. Um, he hasn't been on net that much worse than his normal season. He's only a slightly below average. But I mean, I think there's still some consensus that the Yankees could, um, uh, you know, could get an upgrade right there. Uh, and the Yankees are certainly going to be buyers at this trade deadline. Deadline looks like so. Mike Exis at River Rat Blues. This is also via an MLB trade rumors post. Um, lists uh, a bunch of potential trade targets. So I'm going to ask you three questions with these trade targets before I read them, or as I read them. So think about this. So of these trade tar- targets, which of these would be an actual, uh, like a no-doubt upgrade over Chase Headley? Not a, like, a, you know, basically the same as Chase Headley, but like a no-doubt this, this improves the New York Yankees. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, of those, which would you be willing to give up something significant for? Not... Not giving up Glaber Torres, but not you know not for they're not coming for free. Um, and number three, are there any players not on this list that you think the New York Yankees should trade for? So I'm going to read the list now. The list is Todd Frazier of the White Sox, David Fries of the Pittsburgh Penguin, uh, Penguins. Wow, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, yeah, go Penguins. Uh, Jed Lowry of the Oakland Athletics, playing second right now, but. Mike Moustakis of the Kansas City Royals, Martin Prado, former Yankee of the Miami Marlins, Trevor Plouffe of the designated for assignment list, uh, and Yang Hervis Solarte, uh, former Yankee and now of the uh, uh, of the Padres. Uh, so, Scott, I'll go to you first. Of this list, of that group, uh, and I'll read them again, which of these do you think is a clear upgrade over Headley? Frazier, Fries, Lowry, Moustakis, Prado, Ploof and Solarte. Scott? We may have lost Scott. Andy, what do you think? See, honestly, honestly, kind of an, uninsp- kind of an uninspiring list in general. Uh, uh, reason, I think it's, think it's, I think it's possible Frazier's, Frazier's an upgrade. Uh, he, he's this year in this year in, in years now so I there's now so I do for he's due for regret so at the so at that only bona fide bona fide upgrade it Mike Moustakis obviously he's a free, I believe he's a free agent at the end of the year you're talking you're talking yeah. about a point at that for Mike Moustakis I just I have a lot of trouble one of a say prospects prospects three through six to go to go get to go get him. Yeah, I, I'm 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 with you there. I, I I think maybe Martin Prado is kind of interesting. 
Um, that you know, Prado went healthy has been probably a little bit better than Chase Headley, but he hasn't been healthy all that much, and he's also at times been worse. It's also, I think, probably eh, I guess his defensive numbers are pretty good. So I think Prado is a, is an upgrade. Um, I definitely don't think Trevor Plouffe is an upgrade. I think Solarte is probably about even, maybe a little bit better. David Fries is about the same. Jed Lowry doesn't play a lot of third base, and I don't, you know, uh, chances of him being healthy are pretty low. Uh, and Todd Frazier, I have no interest in. Um, so let me ask you this. Now, of this group, is there anybody not in this group that you think the Yankees should consider trading for? Maybe somebody. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the baseball on baseball on baseball, or the there really fits that fits that mold that that makes sense from a trade per, from a trade perspective the middle infield 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 we have through the summing up through the system that the system that could shift evably shift the, i mean obviously glabratory glab playing a lot is playing a lot more thirty ready for the ready for the ready for the ready for the by august by august got a top got a top got a top got in all baseball 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 i think sense to clog up clog up, clog up third base where you clear out of a very clear rope. Short, taken for the taken for the moment because I think Darius has really been has really been has really been solid. Castro having a great season at second season at not him at least this year, at least this year. So I for find a one find a way to find a way to find the Clyber Torres Clyber Torres onto the roster at third base third base. So anything more than a rental, I'm not sure that it really makes sense. So let, I'm, let me think just a little bit longer term for a second. Let's, let's say Glibertores is an option for next season, but not this season. I, I am not that confident in Starlin Castro long term. Yeah, I agree with that. I wrote a post about this not long ago. Basically, it's shown that Castro is getting lucky. Um, he basically has the same inputs as he did the last the last season with the Yankees. Um, maybe maybe there's a little bit of performance in there on top of the luck, but really, I mean, everything is pretty much spot on for the normal season. And he's had some hard regression over the last month or so. Uh, mostly bad at ball luck before this, um, so I don't. I think that I mean I, I'm not concerned about blocking Glaber Torres yet. I think that start. I think second base is a perfectly plausible position for him long term. Um, and so I'm kind of looking at this list. So I want to just name you know throw out some names that I think might be tradable, even if they're not necessarily you know like like typical trade deadline types. Um, a Eugenio Suarez. Uh, of the Reds, Josh Harrison of the Pirates, uh, kind of going a little farther down, Travis Shaw of the Brewers, um, maybe even someone like Kyle Seeger of the Mariners, Ryan Healy of the Athletics. These are players who are better than pretty much anybody we, we listed there. Would be a real upgrade for the Yankees and would probably require like a Clint Frazier or somebody going in yep. return. Is there anybody on that list that you might trade, we'll say, Clint Frazier for? That's a tough one. Uh, the only guy I think they're consider is you, you, Suarez, just because he's such a toolsy ball player, and I think there are a lot of scouts dating back to when he was a prospect that really, really liked the tools that he brought to the field, and he never really got a chance to show right, right. And now there's that consistent playing time, he's showing a lot at the plate and in the field. So I think he's a guy that long term. Could be a you know a third baseman, a starting third baseman in this league for the next at least four or five years. So kind of it's kind of hard to say you wouldn't trade an unknown prospect for Eugenio Suarez given the tools. But again, playing for, he's playing for a rebuilding team. I think you're talking Frazier plus to obtain a guy like that. 
You know, I for me, I, just, I feel like so the Yankees have such a strong outfield, and that's probably not going. The log jam probably isn't going to go away anytime soon. Like I, that, that to me is like a, is a reasonable upgrade, basically. Like use use a Frazier or Fowler to go and get a third baseman who's a real upgrade. I hate to lose those players because I think they're pretty good, um, but you know, I, I just I, I don't see a, I don't see unlike Torres, I don't see Clint Frazier playing in the majors until unless you know absent an injury. Uh, until you know, one of Brett Gardner, Jacoby Ellsbury, Aaron Judge is done, basically. Yeah, point. no, and I think at some point um, you were really going to have to trade from their depth because they've got all these prospects. Not all of them are going to pan out. Not all of them are going to have space on the big league roster. So I think before the Yankees lose their leverage, they have to get rid of some of these guys. I'm just not sure you want to do it for term long term third baseman. Um. Okay, so uh, here's a, one last question for you. On a scale of like zero to five, where zero is no big deal and five is like alarm, alarm going off, how how bad do you think the situation is with Chase Headley right now? Like how how scared are you about Chase Headley on a contending first? I'm four, four. The only reason that I'm not at a five is I think the prospect of having Bird and or Austin come back and increase the production at first base sort of mitigates the sting of Chase Headley being an awful offensive player at third base. Because at the end of the day, Chase Headley still plays really, really good defense at the hot corner, save for about throwing errors once every five or six weeks. But I think that if you get more production out of first base, you can end and a weak bat at third way than the way the Yan- the rest of the Yankee lineup is moment moment. See, I'm a little more, I'm a little more, I'm a five, I think, um, because, you know, the Yankees, the Yankees are, are in first place by two games. I think the Red Sox are as good or a better team as the Yankees, but I think it's close. So, you know, getting that, like, one or two win upgrade for the course of the season I think is a big deal. Um, so, uh, yeah, I to me, I I, I think I, if I'm Cashman, I'm thinking a little bit. I'm thinking more than that, that list that Axisa put up. I'm thinking about, like, a legit, you know, pretty a pretty big, pretty yeah, big upgrade. That uh, 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 at the end of the day, they- Pry a guy like like Suarez, like Healy. I think we're talking about teams that really value those players. So I think we may very well be underestimating what it's going to take to get those guys. So I think not necessarily we're not necessarily just looking at one guy from the Yankees top ten list. list. It could be two and a two of, the, two of those guys and a mid level piece. What about Josh Harrison? He's twenty nine years old. Um, I don't know when he's a free agent. Um, yeah, he's got looks like two. He's got at least three more years under team control. Uh, he can play all over the field, but he's been playing mostly third base. Uh, he's hitting three hundred three, three sixty six, four sixty three for a not very good Pirates team. Is, is he the player? We're I actually, about, yeah, I'm a little biased. I'm not a big Josh Harrison fan. I think he's an overrated ball player. I think 
particularly last year, I think he came back down a bit and I, a little bit, and I think in a role he's in role he's over his head for utility. Super utility. I think he's I think he's the player that you want player that you want on your roster, but I don't think he's somebody that I'd give up something significant. Like I, somebody like somebody like Suarez or even really Healy, uh, I'd be uh, to a deal for the right prospects and the and the right think vision. I think that those are the types of players you want to go for. And I think little person's a little I also, and I also think he's just a little overrated. Well, let, let's let's stay on that for a second. So, would you give up Dustin Fowler? I don't think so, actually. But I'm also, but I'm also a lot bigger. I'm also I, I a lot that, bigger on Dustin Fowler than Fowler. I actually so am I actually, but um, so let's okay, let's move our way down. Would you give up? Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of another. Would you give up Tyler Wade? Uh, yeah, for, I, for I would. I think at think at the end of the day, Harrison is who Harrison Tyler Wade Tyler Wade really wants to be. That sounds good. All right, that's all we have for today. Uh, thank you guys for listening again. There will be no podcast next week. Uh, I'm going to be away, uh, but there'll be the draft next week. We'll have hopefully some coverage on the blog, and then we're going to co- uh, recap the, the the draft. Hopefully, maybe early next week, we'll see um, uh, on this on on the podcast. So, everybody, have a great have a great uh, week off. Uh, this has been your It's About the Money podcast.